You know, um, this, is, this is the second in a series, our summer series, where we're talking about the, the book of Acts. The name of our series is called Viral. Viral, an incredible series. Pastor Jay began last week with Acts chapter 1 talking about how, how the gospel went viral. Now, we all know what the word viral means. Uh, to most of us, my age and maybe older, viral is something that you worry about, like influenza or some kind of a sickness you're going to have to go. But in, in th this generation, viral means something totally different. Uh, last week, we heard about a little kid, just a little baby that laughed and ended up being the most watched thing on YouTube ever, ever, ever. Like millions and millions of people watch this little kid laugh. Well, I, I have little children that laughed. I think they ought to be watched too. <laughs> when something goes viral, it spreads like wildfire. And that's what happened in the book of Acts to the early church. That's what happened to them. It went viral. Viral. Um, today we're going to go, uh, well first of all let me tell you where Pastor Jay took us. Last week the last thing we saw, it was incredible, the last thing we saw was these people were in one room and they were praying and they were saying, God you promised that this thing inside of us that's new would, would, that you would give us power to get this word out and all of a sudden wind came, fire came and they came out changed people when the Holy Spirit came to live in them. Not around them, but in them. And the gospel went viral. And it's still going viral. The gospel has not changed. In Acts chapter 2, what I want to do today, I want to tell you something. First of all, reading to you some scripture out of Acts chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about the birthday of the church. Happy birthday, church. Acts chapter 2. Verse 14, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. This was the end of Peter's sermon when, when, when this incredible stuff started happening. People noticed noises coming from this room and, 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 and something had happened weird and they gathered around and, and they were going, what's going on? Some miracle has occurred. A supernatural invasion of God has occurred. And, and Peter jumped up. Now this is the same Simon Peter that just 30, 40 days earlier had denied he knew Jesus. This same Simon Peter got up and said, Hey, folks, listen, this is a new thing that God has done. He promised it a long time ago. He said, Jesus, who you killed. It's amazing he did that, didn't he? He did, a month earlier, he was scared to say he knew Jesus. And this day, he got up and said, by the way, you're the guys that killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And when he did, he sent his spirit. This is what prophets have been talking about. This is it. And all of a sudden, the Bible says men were cut to their heart. They go, well, what do we do? And he goes, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. 
And this is something that's going to keep going generation to generation. It was an incredible sermon, the birthday sermon. What does it mean to say the church was born? We talk about Pentecost Sunday, which was last Sunday, as the birthday of the church. Good grief. Hadn't it been here? Whoa. <laughs> hadn't it been here forever? Like, hadn't the church been around forever? There are churches, church buildings in Europe and the Middle East that are eight times as old as our country. I mean, think about that. How can something that we see as so old and maybe antiquated, can you ever think about when it was born? I remember one time our, our little granddaughter, Charlotte, we were, we were in the car and for some reason I had a, something that had a picture of me when I was a little kid, when I was a baby. And I said, this is Poppy when he was a baby. And Charlotte looked up and said, Poppy, you were a baby? <laughs> Sometimes when we talk about the birth of the church, we, you might think in terms of religion. Religion. Now, true religion had been in the Bible a long time before Acts chapter 2 happened. But I want to I paint a picture for you of how religion had gotten sour. Just, just follow with me for a minute. Let me paint a picture. By the time this happened in Acts chapter 2, uh, the Jewish religion was 1,400 years old. That's when Moses laid down the law. And actually, before Moses, God had been working with his people for 700 years before that. So it's, we're talking over 2,000 years old. That This was 2,000 years ago. It was already 2,000 years old. Religion was sort, of a, was sort of a way of life for the Jewish people. The Jewish religion was definitely set in its ways. It had become this large behemoth kind of thing that, that well, sort of like the U.S. government, it was, it was slow to move and virtually impossible to change. <laughs> I'm serious. Its history was fabulous. But its present condition at this time was pretty shady. It had lost the respect of all the people. Most of the common people, it had lost their respect. It was ruled by these elites who used their religious system to funnel the good life down to themselves. And that's who Jesus ended up facing. <laughs> well, does that mean that the religion was a fake? No. No, it was all based on God's truth. It was based on the Ten Commandments, the Law of Moses, and thousands of other rules they made up to go with it. It all started well. It started with a burning bush. <laughs> yeah, it started with the burning bush when Moses goes, hey, what's going on here? And it's a burning bush. And all of a sudden he realized he was in God's presence. It was fire of God. And he was there. And it moved on there when, when he came out of, out of Egypt and they were going through the, the wilderness the fire of God was a, was a pillar that directed them by day and night. And that same fire was seen in this thing called the tabernacle where they, where they would offer sacrifices. It was the tabernacle. There was a fire of God there in a tent. A tabernacle is a tent. God's presence was there. After a while, they got into their, the promised land and David and Solomon said, God doesn't need to live in a tent. And so they built God a house, a big temple. Solomon dedicated the temple. And guess what showed up in that temple? The same burning bush fire, that same tent fire, that same wilderness fire, the fire of God's presence showed up 
in the temple of Solomon. It was incredible. There was the, the, the Ark of the Covenant with the handwritten, written by the finger of God in the stone, Ten Commandments. There was the place that, that they said God dwells. It was incredible. They called this incredible presence, this fire of God, they called it, the, there was a Hebrew word called Shekinah. The Shekinah glory of God. It was, it, was, it was the glory of God that could be felt and seen with the eyes. Well, not by everyone. By the priests. By the, by the priests, they sort of were the only ones that got to see it. But over the centuries, the glory of God became nothing but a memory. Over the centuries, the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses and the other made-up rules just became a, a system, a cold, complicated Jewish system of rules, an empty religion that offered very little for regular folks. It's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. That wasn't what God wanted. Now, watch this. I know this sounds a little bit like a history lesson, but watch this. 300 years before Jesus was born, there was this guy that came along named Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was a hero. He was a Greek. He was a hero. He started building this empire that was sweeping the world. He actually declared himself to be a god. Most of his enemies agreed with him because he was undefeated. I'm talking, he never lost a battle. He was undefeated. It was like he had the world's only superpower at the day. And they, it, by the time he was 33 years old, he had conquered most of the known world. Incredible. He would, um, he would just go city to city. Most cities would just say, hey, we give up before he even showed up. He came to Jerusalem where God's people were. He came to Jerusalem and they opened the gates up and said, just don't burn the city, just don't burn the city, just leave us alone. You can have whatever you want, just don't burn the city. And Alexander walked in, this is, this is incredible. Alexander walked, pranced into Jerusalem and said, where does your God live? And they said, in that temple right there. But don't go in, because if you go in there, God will strike you dead, because you're not a priest. You're not a Jew, you're not a priest. And Alexander said, no, I'm a God. And Alexander walked right past the priest into the temple of God, walked behind the Holy of Holies, pulled the curtain back, and nothing happened to him. He didn't die. God didn't strike him dead. He walked right back out of the temple, stood there. All the, the Jerusalem Jews were standing there going, what, he didn't get struck dead? They told us that that, that would happen. If, if you weren't right, if you weren't a priest, you would get struck dead. And he walked got back, got on his horse, and rode out. Can you imagine the cultural and religious chaos that erupted in Jerusalem that day? Can you imagine all the foundations of their religion just ripped out from under them? You mean, was it all a fake? Was it all a fake? Was God not really behind that curtain? I'm going to tell you something. Some people gave up on their faith. Some people didn't. Some people held on to the traditions. But something that day was lost that the Jewish religion never recovered that day. Something was lost that they spiraled down from that moment on. So why did all that happen? Was there no God in the temple? Folks, many years before, the prophets who they refused to listen to had told them this. God does not dwell in houses made with hands. 
God doesn't live in a house with a ceiling. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The prophets had already said, what's wrong with you people? God doesn't live in a box. God doesn't live there. God is bigger than a temple. He never intended to live in a house. That was never his intention. But that's where empty religion stuck him. In a system, in an institution, in a, behind a curtain, in a stale old building. Like the Wizard of Oz. Now that was 300 years before Jesus was born. When Jesus came, they had already gone through their incredible chaos. They were, they, were, they were just going through the motions, doing their religion. They built the temple bigger so it would look better, but they were just going through their empty religion over and over and over, rituals and rules. And that's the, the world that Jesus came into. Hey, that sounds like our world, doesn't it? Of course, you know the story. The Roman government and the Jewish religion got together. <laughs> they were the elites of the day. They killed Jesus. He was a threat, but God had a plan. His plan was to do something new on the earth, something he had wanted to do for a long, long time, something that had never been done before. Jesus got placed in a tomb. Three days later, he got up from the dead in his own, under his own power, his own authority. 500 people or more saw him. People knew it was true. Faith began to arise in those followers of Jesus. Last week, we talked about if they gathered in a room where they were, were praying, God, do what you promised. Do what you promised. And something wonderful happened. You ready? That same burning bush fire, that same fire that was in the tent, that same fire that was in the wilderness, that same fire that fell in Solomon's temple and knocked the priest out cold, that same fire showed up in a big ball of fire at the top of that room. And all of a sudden they felt wind. They felt wind on their cheeks. They heard a noise like a roar. They didn't know what happened. All of a sudden fire exploded in 120 pieces. And on 120 people that were in that room, a little piece of fire came right into their head and zipped right down into their body. And the ball of fire was gone because God doesn't dwell in a room with a ceiling. He chose to live in the hearts of the people in the room. <laughs> people just like you and me, not priests, not tribe of Levi dudes, normal people, men and women. Everybody. God said, I'm going to live inside of people now. <laughs> My new temple the hearts of people, that's where I've wanted it to be forever. I love what Paul said. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, Do you know, not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? That was the birthday of the church. <laughs> All that to tell you that was how the church was born. When we say the church was born, it was something new. The church was born that day. It was a baby. It was born that day. That's the day that God started living inside of people instead of inside of religious institutions. God, that's a big day. That's why Jesus came. To fulfill something that had been promised from the beginning. So what does it mean to say the birth of the church? I have this morning, very simply, three things 
to try to maybe make it a little clearer to you when I say the birth of the church. Number one, you ready for this? Number one, not the new birth, not the birth of a new institution, but the birth of a new creation. Look again at verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. The most incredible thing about being a follower of Jesus is that our past can be totally forgiven and that we can walk in a brand new life and God gives us a whole other chance to live our lives and that God promises something that, that can never go away, that he would be with us forever. The old way of attempting to reach God through religion and rules was over and it gave way to a new start a new heart, a new faith, a new life, a new freedom from everything that haunts us in our past. That's incredible. Once I was blind, now I can see. Once I was a, shame, a slave to shame and disgrace and regret, now I live in freedom and hope. Once I had no purpose, now I have a reason to live. Once I walked in darkness, now I walk in the light. That's called new creation. Christianity is unique. No other religion has a new birth in this life. No other religion have what's called a new birth, becoming a new creation. They all have a set of rules and a set of standards and a set of stuff to do. Nobody has the ability to transform nor to even claim to do it. That's incredible. Christianity is unique. Now, I happen to have today a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, fortunately, all of us know people who have become new creations. Fortunately, we all get to know those folks. In fact, this room is full of them. We all have our own story. It just so happens that exactly 17 years ago today, we met someone in the inner city part of Birmingham and 17 years ago today she came and sang her first song at Kingwood Church. I want y'all to watch this. This girl right here is from our North Birmingham. And this year she has been touched by Master's Commission. She'll tell you that. And she wrote a song to Master's Commission and the outreach that we've done in her neighborhood. This is what it's about right here. Right here. Her life was touched by people who didn't go and leave, but they gave their life to her and poured something into her. Y'all give it up for Charmaine.
Charmaine, where are you? Charmaine, where are you, Charmaine? Charmaine wrote that song. Let me tell you what that is. That's called a new creation. Let me tell you, when the church was born, that's how the church lives. It lives when people become a new creation. She lived in a place where there was absolutely no hope for what's going on in her life. And yet some folks came and loved on her, and she ends up writing a song saying, you showed me the truth, you told me what I could do, and now I am free. And 17 years later, she's leading worship from this place. So what does the birth of the church mean? New creation. Not temporary encounter. Not a temporary experience. A new creation. Oh, it's not an institution. It's a creation. Secondly, not membership in a new institution, but birth into a new family. I want you to look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then verses 44 through 46. All who believed were together and had things in common. They were all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You know, followers of religion are sort of members of an elite club. You know? They're sort of members of some kind of a club, not members of Jesus' religion. Followers of Jesus are members of a new family, a loving, caring family. Charmaine knows what that means as well, don't you, Charmaine? Charmaine's part of this family. It might have not been where she grew up, but this, she's in the family of God right here. I know that not all Christians... And all church folk treat one another as a loving family. I know that's true. But I'll bet you not every member of your family treats one another like a loving family all the time either. <laughs> but there's still family. There's a blood connection. And that's what draws us together here, the blood of Jesus. Sometimes families, members need correction, they need guidance, and everybody else Needs a whole lot of patience. I've been in this congregation for over 40 years now. Some of you have been here even longer. I have not seen perfection in any of our members yet. But I have constantly and consistently seen loving care, concern, partnership, Kindness, charity, patience, grace, forgiveness, and unconditional acceptance from this very body of believers on a daily basis. 
The blessings of being in this family far outweighs any problems. <laughs> it's not even close. I can't help but be blown away by what I see right here in the family of God at Kingwood. It blows me away every day. And there's more. The birthday of this church in, in the book of Acts means not only birth into a new family, but it means an expanded family. You know, there was a time in the Bible when God's people were all called Jews. The Jews were the people of God. They were the chosen people. You had to be a Jew to be part of the chosen people. By the time of Jesus, it was ridiculous. There were these people that were half Jewish. They were called Samaritans. And the full Jewish people hated their guts. They wouldn't even walk on the same road with Samaritans. They would never enter their, their cities or, or even talk to them. They, they, were, they were the elite. You had to be a good Jew now. Guess what? Jesus didn't, didn't feel that way. <laughs> he didn't feel that way at all. He went right into their towns on their roads and ministered to their people. Even their women. Yes, the woman at the well was a Samaritan woman, and he ministered to her personally. Oh, what a scandal. What a scandal. He told a parable about a good Samaritan. Imagine that. Imagine when they heard there was a good Samaritan. People are going, Samaritan? How's a Samaritan good? Imagine that. Jesus had no prejudice. He saw no differences. But he went further than that. He even ministered and spoke to the Gentiles. <laughs> that means anyone who's not a Jew. If you don't know what that word means, Gentile means anybody who's not Jewish. Back in the day, it meant Greeks and Romans and Arabs and Egyptians and Persians. And today, it means Americans and Englishmen and Africans and Japanese and Polynesians and whatever. That's a Gentile. In, in Jesus' day, the Jews had a derogatory term, a list word, for, for anybody that was a Gentile. And you know what it was? It was, it was the Hebrew word kaleb, and it means dog. It means yard dog. Now, if you're in the South, you know what a yard dog is. It is not a peekapoo, all right? <laughs> so once Jesus was at this place and there was a Gentile lady there, and some of the Jews around him called her a yard dog in front of, in front of them, in front of Jesus, trying to get him to shoo her away from their table. Jesus took them on. He called her by another name. He called her a Hebrew word that doesn't mean yard dog. It's a Hebrew word that means house dog or family dog. Peekapoo, all right? He used a Hebrew word that means the kind of dog that sits in your lap and eats from the table. Yeah, they had those back then too. And Jesus called her by that name. In other words, all right, folks, this lady can sit at my table. It was scandalous they couldn't believe he did that. But that's how God is. Because this new thing called the church actually believes that, that God so loved the world, not the Jews, the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I love this Kingwood Church family. I love being here this morning. I love seeing us all worship together. I do. Black, white, brown, rich, poor, sick, healthy, young, old. Don't you love that? Don't you love it? 
That's the family of God. It's wide and big. The birth of the church. It's a new creation. The church is a new family. And lastly, the church, not doing the duty, here's number three, not doing the duty of an institution, but answering the call of a new commission. Not doing the duty of an institution, but answering the call of a new commission. I love reading from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, one time the Bible says, was in, in, had a vision. And in this vision he had, he saw, he saw God on a throne. He saw God on a throne. And he was high and lifted up, and there was just glory all around. And Isaiah was there, and Isaiah was going, what am I doing here? And Isaiah, he saw the fire of God in the room. The Bible says smoke of, of the fire filled the temple. And he was just, he was standing there, and he said, what am I doing here? He said, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I'm a sinner. I'm going to die. I'm going to see God and burn, slap up, because I'm not pure. And he stood there, and all of a sudden the Bible says God reached out Gave an angel something and said, go lay that on his tongue and cleanse him. And so the angel flies over to him and he cleansed him and made him pure. And then God said these words. God said, who will go for us? In other words, who's going to tell the world about me? And this is what the Bible said Isaiah did. Me, 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 choose me, choose me. Have you ever been in the first grade? Have you ever been in the first grade and they go, I need a volunteer. <laughs> you know, knocking people down. Give me, 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 me. That's what Isaiah did. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's, 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 a, it's a word that means it's bigger than the word. It's, it's giant. He didn't, he didn't say, here am I, Lord, I volunteer. He said, please choose me. Please, 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 please choose me. How could he say anything else? God had just took a guy that was about to die because he was impure and had made him a new creation and put him in a new family. How in the world can he hold that back? He can't. He can't hold it back. Man, <laughs> that's amazing to me. That is amazing. In Acts 2.39, this is what we read. For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. In verse 41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now that's pretty good. That is pretty good. It's amazing. God not only makes us a new creation, puts us in a new family, a loving family, but he wants to use us to do his incredible work. He wants to partner with, with us. The message, the giftings, the Holy Spirit himself lives inside us. It's in our DNA to go. Brooksy Dominguez, are you in the room? Brooksy, stand up if you will. This is Brooksy Dominguez, incredible man of God. Did you know that I, I want to just let y'all know something? Brooksy is just literally like within the next month or a few weeks or whatever it is, days. 
Brooksy is going to be moving to South Alabama to Orange Beach area. And he has joined, and they are going to pioneer a brand new church right there, where one of the fastest growing areas of Alabama. He is connected with people, and they want to start this church off right. They want to start this church off with an expanded family and an incredible vision. And Brooksy has said, you know what? I think that's what I want to do. God trained him in this place, and Brooksy has the gifts it's going to take. And Brooksy, we just, I want the church to know that. about. We all promise to commit to pray for this incredible young man. Brooksy, we're going to be praying for you. I remember when, thank you so much, Brooksy. I remember when he came to Master's Commission. I remember there was just this thing inside of him that he, he cared about people. He cared so much about people. That compassion just rolled off of his tongue. And, and he, he would look for people who needed to be touched. And now, and now he's ready. He's ready to go do the very thing. You know why? He knows God made him a new creation. He knows God put him in a new family. And now he has answered the commission of God. Man, that's incredible to me. That's incredible to me. God provides everything we need to do the job. And here's the proof. On that day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. Now, that's not bad for the first time. That's pretty good. It's like, hey, guys, if you, if you guys will come on in now. I, wanna, I want you to see something. I'm going to show you something today. I guess they're coming in from this side. Um, guys, will you all move this for me? Thank you. Um, what I've just described to you about a new creation is sort of like the potter who has taken a lump of regular old everyday dirty clay and molds it into a vessel that can be used, a choice vessel that's treasured. And the way he does it is really what the church is all about. When you see this in just a moment, you're not going to be looking at an institution. You're going to be looking at how God makes new creations, puts them in new families, and gives them a new call. He just places them on the potter's wheel. Thank 
That's what the church is. The church is, is the wheel and Jesus is the potter. How in the world would we want to be away from the church? Why would we want to talk about how bad the church is? Are you kidding? It's not an institution. It's a new creation. It's a family. 
It's a commission. I'm going to ask you, if you will, just to bow your heads for a second. Heavenly Father, I just believe in my heart there are people in this room, there are people today, right now, in this room, who wonder if they're on the potter's wheel anymore. They see themselves as just that lump of clay, and they wonder what they're doing at the house of God today. But Lord, this is your church. This is your potter's wheel. This is the place where new things happen, where new things are created. And I ask you today, even in people who may have religion all throughout their life, and maybe who had a, a, the fire of faith burning at one time, but it's gone. Father, I ask you today to let this be a Pentecost day for people. Let this be a new day when you start living again on the inside. Father, I pray you draw people now to this place. I'm going to ask you all to stand, if you will, and prayer team, if you would come and make your way to the front as our worship team comes out. I just, I want to just ask you, today, if, if you need a relationship with the potter, you need a relationship with the potter, you need to be on that potter's wheel again. Maybe you, you feel like you're broken again. Somebody's just going to come and pray with you today. That's all it's going to be, just somebody praying with you. I'm going to ask you to step out as they begin to sing. I'm just going to ask you, if you will, to step out and find one of these people to pray with you. Would you, would you step out right now? Come on. It's wide open. Come on, if you will. If you will. Somebody just wants to pray with you and help you get on the